0: From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Craig Sanders. Hey, this morning we are uh, we are in our second week of. Uh, kind of taking a look at the Christmas story fresh. And we talked a little bit last week about Advent being a historical idea in the church, something that dates back to the early church, and it was where the people of God would push pause and begin a very focused look at the Christ. And the word word Christmas really means a celebration of the Anointed One. So while we're not doing a liturgical Advent, I love the idea of, turning our hearts towards this idea in the Christmas story. And so this morning, uh, I want to, uh, let you know, we're not, I I have a firm belief that church, the people of God, when we gather, it's about the presence of God, first and foremost. So we want to be kind of focused and kind of dive in and go. Can you guys handle efficient church? Here's what I mean by efficient church. I mean, we make the things that matter, matter, and the other stuff doesn't. The presence of God matters, the scriptures matter, us loving on each other matters, the bread and cup matters, we're going to do those things. Announcements and stuff like that, we'll figure them out. I want to dive in. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to take a portion of the Christmas story, and as what, we're, what I'm doing with this is I'm just compiling different snapshots of the way it comes out in the scriptures. So I'm going to dive in. Here we go. Zachariah was in the sanctuary when the angel of the Lord appeared, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zachariah was overwhelmed with fear. Again, this word appeared the angel appears. It literally means to come on the scene, to vaporize, and just show up. So he's overwhelmed with fear, and the angel says, Don't be afraid, Zachariah, for God has heard your prayer, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice with you at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or hard liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will persuade many Israelites to turn to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, the prophet of old. He will precede the coming of the Lord, preparing the people for his arrival. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will change disobedient minds to accept godly wisdom. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a cry and exclaimed to Mary, You are blessed by God above all other women, and your child is blessed. What an honor this is. That the mother of my Lord should visit me. When you came in and greeted me, my baby jumped for joy the instant I heard your voice. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Now it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, and it was a boy. The word spread quickly to her neighbors and relatives that the Lord had been very kind to her, and everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, all the relatives and friends came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, No, his name is John. What? They exclaimed. There's no one in your family by that name. So they asked the baby's father, communicating to him by making gestures. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, His name is John. Instantly, Zachariah could speak again, and he began praising God. So wonder fell upon the whole neighborhood, And the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, I wonder what this child will turn out to be, for the hand of the Lord is surely upon him in a special way. Mark chapter 1 says, In the book of the prophet Isaiah, God says, Look, I am sending my messenger before you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare a pathway for the Lord's coming. Make a straight road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist, and he lived in the wilderness and was preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had turned from their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. His clothes were woven from camel hair, and he wore a leather belt. His food was locusts and wild honey. Holy Spirit, would you be with us this morning as we study the scriptures? Um, Lord, we believe that everything in this book is good for us. It's, it's capable of creating godliness in us. And we cry out for you to bring your wisdom and your revelation as we look at this. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, come on. It's a sidebar. It's a funny story. I'll just give it to you and then we'll move on. My, my oldest, who was playing drums this morning, when he was about, I don't know, 18 months old or maybe getting close to two years old, maybe not ballpark, we were, I was serving at a church and, and the pastor I was serving under um, wasn't super careful with what he said from the pulpit, so he used the word shut up one morning. And my son from the back of the room screams, we don't say shut up. <laughs> so I tried to be far more cautious with what I say. So as we study the Christmas story here, last week we took a look at Zachariah and Elizabeth. And we took a look at at the reality that with God nothing is impossible. And we studied their life and and what we were able to pull and extrapolate from their lives was what does it look like for us to contend for an impossibility? What what can we learn from them? And I want to take a look this week at, at their son, John the Baptist, because he's the next character we meet in the Christmas story. And he's I would say it's easy, it would be safe to say that John is a strange man. Did you say that's fair? Yeah. And there's this, there's this kind of thing floating around him where he's, he's a bit odd and the 400 years we talked about, the 400 years of silence where God had quit speaking in the earth, he comes, this comes to conclusion and, and John comes back on the scene as the first prophetic voice that the Lord wants to release on the earth. Jesus makes a statement about John the Baptist that I think makes him worth considering. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. And we encounter a unique calling on John's life that's given to Zechariah's prophecy. And it's this, he must never touch wine or hard liquor. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. The phrasing of this, he must never touch wine or hard liquor, For our culture, we're like, what does that mean? It was important in a Jewish culture because it was the language of a Nazarite vow. Historically, a Nazarite vow was given as something people could voluntarily step into. It was given through Moses in number six. It's presented as a voluntary option for anyone in the family of God who just wanted to draw closer to God And make it obvious to the world around them. The word Nazarite, just the word itself means consecrated or set apart. What is within the Nazarite vow, just three simple things I will share with you. They were called to have no contact with wine or grapes in any form. They are forbidden to eat or drink anything from the grapevine. It was a form of of self-denial that was connected to this consecration to God. Now, before we become super religious, generally from a Jewish perspective, grape products or wine was considered a blessing if we study it in Scripture. But in this little aspect of the vow, what was to be symbolized was that the Nazarites were willing to surrender their passions and natural appetites to the Lord. It's important for us to note that the Nazarite vow wasn't a perpetual thing. It was a vow that they could state a timeline on. For instance, if I were to step into a Nazarite vow, I could say, hey, for the next month, I wanna take a Nazarite vow. And I would align with the, if I was a a good Jewish boy in culture, I would align with these things. The second thing I would align with is, I couldn't cut my hair. My hair had to grow for the entirety of the Nazarite vow. At the end of the vow, I would shave my head and that hair would be presented back to the Lord. It seems odd, but this was simply a symbol that allowed the culture around them to understand that they were under a commitment to the Lord. It's a way for them to see it. And then the third thing that the Nazarites were required, and maybe some of you are familiar with it, they couldn't be around death at any level. If you were under a Nazarite vow and your own father or mother died, or a brother or sister, the reality is you wouldn't be able to actually mourn with them because you weren't allowed to be connected to death. You weren't allowed to be around it, whether it was animal or human. Why? It seems super weird. Because throughout the scriptures, death was connected to sin. And this was an external symbol to say, I am separating myself from sin. So for the Nazarite, it was a desire to step into this vow that was driven by wanting a greater focus, a greater clarity with the Lord. They wanted to be more connected. I want to highlight something I think is very important because I grew up in in, every one of us have probably had some connection to some form of legalism or heavy-handed rules. And I want to just highlight something that The Nazarites would abstain from certain practices, but it's not because the practices themselves, it's not because any one of those three things were innately sin. It was because they would be very obvious signs in the culture they were in that something was different. That's the whole idea behind it. For the Nazarite, this vow was a reminder to them daily about God's authority in their life. the vow was less important than what it represented because what it represented was a a desire to be fully focused and fully devoted to God. So back to John the Baptist. If we look at his lifetime, what we see is a man who would spend his life preparing people to embrace the coming kingdom of God. In essence, he just gave himself up to be a signpost, constantly pointing people to the Messiah that would come. Consider this. He is the human being that God chose to reveal Jesus. Yet there's an aspect of this man, John the Baptist, that I think we just overlook, we don't even consider. And I think it's of vital importance to us. You see, God outlined this lifestyle that John was to live and it was given in a prophetic word to Zechariah. The word was potent. It had intensity to it. So much so that it caused the world around them to have this expectation of greatness from this young man. And we see that where this wonder fell upon the whole neighborhood and the news of what had happened spread and they started asking, I wonder what this child will turn out to be for the hand of the Lord is surely upon him. I'm sure based upon our study of Zachariah and Elizabeth, if you remember last week, we studied that they were righteous people who lived right and they also had clean hearts before God. I'm sure they were faithful to communicate to their son the call of God on his life. But what I want to highlight that I think we would naturally overlook is that John made a personal choice to align with God's invitation to live a consecrated life. And that decision changed history. Because John was willing to answer that call, God used him to change the world. And if I just look at this simple reality that John made the choice to align and live a consecrated life, it causes me to ask a question. It causes me to consider the supernatural power of a consecrated life. And maybe the next question, maybe the, the, the more poignant one is, what can God do with my Fully consecrated life. Romans twelve verse one. Paul says this, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God and let them be living and holy sacrifices—the kind He will accept. When you think of what He's done for you, is this too much to ask? And what Paul does is he uses language that reframes the Nazarite idea for for those that were listening. And he moves this vow away from a short-term, temporary, finite thing, and he moves it into a lifestyle issue. I plead with you. The word is literally to urge or invite strongly. We would do well if we heard it as an excited invitation where Paul was literally saying, come on, you guys, join me in this pursuit. Join me in what? Give. Give. The word give here means to willingly offer up. I voluntarily, willingly offer myself up. The word bodies here means physical. It's the word soma in the Greek. So it means I'm offering up my physical body. I love that it says not just as a holy sacrifice, it says as a living and holy sacrifice, therefore we can't be mistaken. We don't need to die. But I want to talk about sacrifices for a second sacrifices are offered to someone, correct? And in this way, what a sacrifice does is it directs attention. A sacrifice on the altar, it's not about the sacrifice, it's about who it's being offered to, correct? Paul uses the word holy, and it carries a nearly identical definition to the word Nazarite, which is consecrated or set apart. consider that invitation. What would it look like if I determined in my mind that my life was going to be used for a special set-apart purpose and that was to reflect what mattered to heaven in all things. So if I'm going to live this out, how do I live it out? Two things. Be intentional to invite the Holy Spirit's insight. What do you mean, Greg? What if it looks like I say to the Lord, I want my life to represent you in everything I do? Holy Spirit, will you search me and know me? I welcome you to investigate my life. And if there's anything going on in me that's a concern to you, please call it out. Instead of living with the, if God's not talking about it, I don't care, keep going. See, I turn it with my own intentionality and ask, would you search me and know me? This is the heart that David presents. Search me and know me, God, see if there's any wicked way in me. The second thing would be be intentional to learn the culture of heaven in the Scriptures. It means I spend time in the Word Learning what matters to the Lord. Learning what a consecrated, devoted, set-apart life looks like. I'm not waiting for him to call it out. I'm investigating because my desire is to live pure and holy. And if we really look at the root of John's life, John's life was used to impact the culture around him and change it. And could I suggest that that is the same heart that's in the Father for us? That he longs for us to live devoted consecrated lives where we get serious and we say, you know what, I'm not going to put up with stuff that I know is not who God's called me to be. I'm actually going to turn it to the Lord and start crying out, I want to devote to you. I want to be consecrated to you. Will you help me learn what it looks like to walk in holiness? You see, my consecration, my devotion, my holiness, that's my choice. But what God can do with that choice is unlimited. John made the choice to consecrate himself. God made the choice for John to change the world. And it's easy for us to say, well, that was John. But God is not a respecter of persons. He loves all of his kids equally, which means every single one of us are invited into this holiness This consecration, this dedication and devotion where we live in relationship asking him, search me, know me. We study the scriptures, mining them for wisdom to know. And then we turn that out and we live it in the earth. So the question is, what can God do with your fully devoted life? I want to take bread and cup this morning with that question. I think it would be appropriate for us to consider. Maybe it's the right time to say, Holy Spirit, is there stuff that we need to deal with right now? Or maybe you're saying, you know, I know I'm living pretty clean, but man, I just feel this tug to go give everything you are to the Lord. Whatever it is, the beauty of this idea of being consecrated is it's a volunteer decision, it's my voluntary choice to give myself fully to the things of God. And I promise you, when we do that, God will use our lives to change the world. Let's stand this morning. There's tables in the back. There's tables to the sides. We have teams that would love to pray with you. If you're in a spot where are like, hey, I, I need more than just my own time. I need to pray with somebody. Those teams will be outside by the windows. They'll have a lanyard. You can see them. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I've, I've never really given myself to Jesus. I don't really know what bread and cup is. Let me just give you a very quick explanation. The bread represents His body. It was given on the cross. Jesus will say this. Take this and eat it. It's my body. It was given for you. And for every unique pain He suffered, He purchased a unique freedom for us. The blood represented in the cup. We don't really, I don't believe that they turn into stuff. It doesn't really matter if it does, I don't care. The symbol's what matters. Because what I'm celebrating is the fact that he gave his life on the cross. He allowed his blood to be shed so that you and I could go free. Because his blood speaks a word over creation. And the word his blood speaks is reconciliation, forgiven. And every time I align with it, what I'm saying is I accept your forgiveness of my sin. So this morning, if you're here and you feel like I need to do that and I want to talk to somebody about it, it'd be my honor to walk through that with you. It'd be any of our team's honor, those lanyards, to walk through that with you. Well, let's take the next few moments. We'll take bread and cup, and then I'll close this down. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at VintageCityChurch.com.